Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, October 17th. We've got an action-packed show today. We'll discuss the Monday night football game from last night, some film analysis on two specific games, and we'll preview the Thursday night football game. Just a reminder, Forward Progress every Monday to Friday. If you're not already, you should like the content, subscribe to our channel, hit the notifications bell. You don't want to miss the content. Of course, none of this will be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds. Your trusted sports book. Bet smart. Bet Pinnacle must be 19 plus in Ontario. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sulfides, and I'm excited to get this show on the road. I've got Sharp Clark joining me every Tuesday, NFL originator, betting analyst at 4for4.com. Clark, I want to start with the Monday night football game. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Dallas Cowboys felt like they could have been the best team in football, and I was watching uh, the game last night on the watch along with Rob Pozzola. They were just coming off a blowout loss to San Francisco, and I could feel his nerves uh, and anxiety coming through the screen. If they had lost, they would have been 3-3 three and three heading into the bye, but three losses in the last four. Is it too early to say last night's game was very important for Dallas? Yeah, it was clearly huge for Dallas. There's a long road ahead. I think uh, a lot of divisional games to play that will end up determining the outcome of their season. But I think even though they won, I came away not overly impressed. I mean, their defense played really well. Um, offense did enough to win the game, but I, I, I don't think either team really came off as I, I wanted to see at least one of the teams assert themselves. And I feel like the refs really asserted themselves. If anybody on that field last night, it, it felt like, uh, you know, one team escaped with a win as opposed to earning that win. Uh, how about the chargers? The first drive, they come out, all passes. All right. Kellen Moore revenge game. Great. We are going to lead this game by passing first. And then uh, they get a touchdown on that first drive and then they revert back to, you know, a mix of run and pass. Um, should they just start letting Justin Herbert sling this ball or what? I mean, it depends on the matchup that they weren't running the ball successfully. So it, it, it was all on Herbert regardless of whether or not they chose to chose to run the ball, but at least running the ball kind of takes some of the hits off of him because he was getting hit a lot last night. Like, I know he only took the one sack at the very end, but the amount of times that the Cowboys line was in the backfield on Herbert, like within seconds of the snap, I mean, it was just, he was getting crunched. And that's that's a way he's going to get hurt again. That's a way that he's going to make mistakes. And I think you have to kind of run the ball. Like, I hate to be one of those like old school football guys, but sometimes you got to run the ball to just take some of that aggressiveness out of the pass rush. So, I didn't hate it. Um, I wish the Chargers were better at running the ball, especially with Austin Eckler back, um, because it's it was all on Justin Herbert. And against a defense like the Cowboys, it's tough for any quarterback to succeed. I have a question about when does a quarterback just is allowed to have a bad game? Because, you know, we give the pass to like a Mahomes or a Burrow or a Lamar or a Josh Allen, but it feels like Herbert to uh, Brock Purdy, some of these guys, the second they have one bad game, the detractors come out in full force and say, see, I told you so. Uh, are they allowed to have a bad game? Or are we in the NFL where you have to play at the top of your level every game? I think it's just a like a social phenomenon because, you know, there's all these conversations, right? Tua versus Herbert, Herbert versus Burrow, Purdy versus, I don't know, whoever, like is Purdy elite, whatever. And, and that's where the conflict is, right? Nobody's arguing about whether Mahomes is good. 
Yeah. And so what happens is you have these these really spirited debates where both sides have some evidence for their for their arguments. I think there is a lot of subjectivity when it comes to quarterback analysis. Yeah. And so those people that that most vehemently argued one side or the other are going to jump on any opportunity they get to kind of be like, see, I was right. When the truth is like the story is a long story. A, a quarterback's career is a very long book. And people love to point at one page and say, see, this page proves that my view was the correct view. And None of that is productive, in my opinion. I think you should always be, you know, evaluating how you see quarterbacks based on new information. And, you know, honestly, like I have downgraded my view of Justin Herbert based on his play to date this year and last year, frankly, like last year it was possible that the injury was was kind of hindering him. But I tend not to use that as an excuse, especially when he's following it up with another year that that leaves a lot to be desired. So I still think. Herbert is a is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You know, I had him as as probably the third best. I don't really have like hard, you know, descriptions of that. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know who the like who is third if he's not third, right? Who who is the quarterback that is so good that he's clearly better than Justin Herbert? And I don't know the answer to that question. I think there's a lot of question marks after the top two, in my opinion. I want to see hear from our audience. Spam the chat. Who is the number three quarterback that is definitely better than Justin Herbert? Clark, it reminds me of politics where every single thing thing means everything now. There, there's no there's no uh, context. We, we can't live in the middle. It's everything is so polarizing that as soon as you get one uh, data point that supports your argument, you go all in on it. Um, how about this um, argument? Uh, Quinton Johnston uh, got a bye week to get integrated into the offense. They took this guy 21st overall. Uh, and the next two players off the board were Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison. Uh, is Quinton Johnston uh, not having anything uh, to be optimistic about starting to concern Chargers fans? And should it? Uh, big time, yeah. I mean, they miss Mike Williams. They miss Corey Lindsley. Like, we saw this happen last year when... When Herbert lost his weapons and lost his offensive line, it made a, a massive difference. And we're seeing it again this year. I think the Chargers' hope was, okay, but they have Rashawn Slater back this year and they have Quentin Johnston that can kind of take the place of Mike Williams. And Quentin Johnston has not done that. So now it's just Keenan Allen, who's like 30-something years old. Um, it's going to be a, a uphill battle for this Chargers offense unless Quentin Johnston can really establish himself. All right, we got some Burrows and Tua's in response to who is the number three quarterback. Uh, Clark, let's get into some film review. You want to talk about the Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints this week. Yeah, so I'll, I'll brief comment on the Texans is just that, um, you know, Stroud continues to make really smart plays. Uh, there was one that really stood out to me. They had the ball either on the goal line or close to the goal line. Um, and the Saints don't blitz a ton, right? They play a lot of man defense. They let their their front win. Uh, and so Stroud took the snap and the Saints sent a blitz that was a bit surprising to me and also to him. But his reaction time was so fast. As soon as he saw the blitz coming, he realized he wasn't going to be able to run the play that he wanted to. And he just threw the ball at the feet of his tight end in the end zone. There was no chance of it being caught, right? So it's incomplete, you know, negative play, negative completion percentage over expectation, all the stats. But it was a really smart play. And thing that rookie quarterbacks have a hard time with is avoiding the negative plays. Like it was the anti-Zach Wilson play. Um, and I really liked seeing that from Stroud. And in a game that he didn't play particularly well overall against a really tough defense, those types of plays, if he can build on those where the bad plays are not negative, that's going to be huge. So quick shout out for Stroud. What I really took away from this game was how bad the Saints offense was in the red zone, which is obvious if you look at the box score. Yeah. But one of the things I looked at in the offseason was 
Derek Carr has struggled in the red zone throughout his career. Uh, in the last five years, uh, in each of the last five years, the Saints had a better red zone conversion rate than the Raiders, even though the Raiders had a better overall offense in four out of those five years. So what I, what I was really looking forward to this year was seeing, okay, does the quarterback you know, bring his red zone troubles to the new team or does the new team with, you know, tight ends that can catch, you know, touchdowns, a good running game, you know, creativity in the red zone that can lead to touchdowns easier. Does that win out over a quarterback that struggles in the red zone? And so far the answer is absolutely not. The the Saints are 28th in the NFL in red zone conversion rate to date. And I see no reason to anticipate that getting better. This wasn't a, a case where, well, they had some drops and they had some goal line stands once they got in the red zone none of those passes were even close it was just Derek Carr sitting back there trying to find someone open and nobody was open and it was just complete complete ineptitude in the red zone so I don't expect this to get better this is not one of those things that just you know mean reversion that kind of thing Um, I'm concerned about the Saints scoring points which is why they keep going under Um, but I'm concerned about the Saints scoring points enough to uh, justify my preseason expectations of that team yeah, um, I for notes I wrote just for Houston, just quickly, I said, uh, while they leave some meat on the bone, uh, they're not making the backbreaking mistakes. And um, again, like, and, I don't and, know, and when they do, the Saints fumble it right back to them. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing with the Saints is uh, in the first few weeks, they demonstrated a, a capability of hitting some explosive plays. I don't know if this correlates with Carr's shoulder injury or Camara's return. But, like, everything has been living underneath ever since. Like, Kamara's got 23 catches in three games. But, like, for 86 yards, they're they're getting three and a half yards every time they throw to Kamara. And I'm like, you're not using Olave properly. You're not using Shahid's speed. And when you have to get, you know, 12 and 15 play drives to score, eventually you you hit some resistance, you make a mistake. uh, And that's why your offense needs an element of explosives. I, I just still feel that there's uh, when on paper, the Saints offense looks good from a, a weapons perspective, and we haven't seen it yet um, play out in, in a full game. I want to we're going to talk about the Saints and their offense uh, when we preview the Thursday night game, which had some uh, steam just before we went on the air. Do you have any more points on that game, Clark? No, that's that's my key takeaways. I, I watched the Bucks and Lions and I didn't have a bet on the game. So this was like a really good uh objective view uh, i was i didn't have any uh anything to like cheer for or, or complain about i want to start with the bucks I, I i kind of like what dave canales is trying to do like he he threw the ball 37 times only running at 16 the problem is a lot of those runs came on uh on first down uh, and, and they only converted two of their 12 third downs and, and a lot of them were, they put themselves in long down and distance, whereas they had 13 first downs in the game. So 11 times they bypassed third down altogether, getting a first down. And it was usually set up by drives that started with the pass. And I'd like to see them do it more. Cause frankly, they just can't run the ball. They don't have a good enough O-line to run the ball. And, and neither of these running backs have any juice to them. I thought Mike Evans had a little bit of a bad game. Like he made a couple bad drops. He had a couple careless penalties. Uh, and yet I thought I would come away impressed about the Lions defense as if they shut down Tampa Bay. And, you know, effectively the box score says they did. But there were some guys open, Trey Palmer a couple times uh, that Baker just missed. And, and Baker's always had that where he, he'll just miss a throw by a, a yard or two. And, and 
some of those plays would have swung the game. Like they had one to Trey Palmer gets behind everybody. Uh, he's got five yards on his closest defender and Baker overthrows him, which would have made the game 10, 10 entering half. Um, for the lions though, I had more observations about the lions. They Ben Johnson continues to understand in the NFL, you got to pass to set up the run. Uh, they had a two to one pass to run ratio. He, he knows specifically in this game, the strength of this bucks defense is the run defense, whereas last week against Carolina, he just said, we'll just run it down their throat because we're capable of doing that with our O-line. Um, you saw a little bit of like a mixed bag with Jamison Williams and what element he can bring to the offense. They li they lived in this game, though, on like high-variance downs. Like they were 9 of 16 on third down, including a drive where, Clark, they converted three third downs of third and long. And it's like, yeah, you know, uh, that's very fortunate to get a touchdown on a drive like this, but I don't think that's a sustainable on uh, long term. But I came away with the impression I said, "Who does this Lions uh, offense remind me of?" And it, it, it finally dawned on me in the fourth down when the Lions needed to kill uh, kill the game out. They had a seven minute drive to to basically soak away most of the clock, and it reminded me of Drew Brees in the old Saints offense. Do you remember? Back then, Drew Brees would be protecting a one-score lead with six minutes to go, and then you'd never get the ball back because yep. he was so accurate and methodical down the field. I, I look at the way this team is compromised. They go, very good O-line, capable run game, like dual-headed run game, just like they had with Ingram and Kamara. And it's okay with Montgomery, and ideally they're going to want it with Jameer Gibbs at some point. They live in the slot and to their tight end. So Marquise Colston and Jimmy Graham, and, and they're reinventing that now with the Monroe and Sam Laporta. And, and then I, I remember where Dan Campbell spent, you know, five years of his time coaching as an assistant in New Orleans, learning that. And, and I finally, it, Detroit starts to give me those vibes all the way down to the quarterback plays really well in the dome. And it's questionable on the road and the weather. And I'm like, there's a lot of overlap between these two teams. What what did you take away from this game? Yeah, I, I came away a little more impressed with the Lions. Like one of the things I look for, like third down conversion rates can be noisy in small sample sizes, especially one game sample sizes. But what I'm looking for is how easy are those third down conversions you know, to, to achieve. And I'm just impressed with whatever it is the Lions are doing on their offensive play calling, like, during the season, I don't have time to break down the all 22 very often because I'm watching every every game, right? So so I don't have the time to really like analyze what it is they're doing, but I know that it's working. And I know that what it's doing is creating really easy opportunities on third down, whether it's you know a third and short where there's like an easy lane for the running back to get three yards when he only needs one, or you know, oh, there's Amon Ross St. Brown in the flat with no defender even near him. You know, Jared Goff's gonna hit that pass every time. Yeah. These aren't the types of like you know, miracle third down conversions you get from like Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert. Um, and I think that that is, is sustainable. Like, especially when they do that against a defense like the Bucks, that is pretty decent. Um, so I came away uh, continuing to be optimistic about this Lions team. They keep suffering injuries and they keep just saying, yep, we're still good. Uh, we're still good at defense. And like, yes, Baker missed a lot of throws, but the Lions are kind of doing what the Falcons are doing on defense, which is basically we're just going to make everything difficult for you. And so if you're not going to make really good plays, you're not going to score on us. And they said that to Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay didn't make any good plays and they didn't score. Um, and so we'll see how that, you know, how that does for them when they place, play some stiffer competition. But for now, I think there's no reason to expect them to, to drop off. I think they're, I think they're a good team. 
Yeah, I do too. I'm going to learn a lot about them in this Baltimore game. We often talk about uh, how the box score can be misleading. You know, against the Chiefs, you know, their pass defense looks very good. uh, And against the Bucs, it looks like they did a very good job. And then I'm seeing, you know, Chiefs receivers dropping open balls when they're not covered and Tampa Bay not, uh, not hitting open receivers. And I said... You know, that that is an example of a box score, maybe not representing how good the coverage was on that one given game. Let's talk about five and one teams in the NFL. There's five of them. And I don't want to go pretender contender because I I think all of them uh, has a right to be considered a contender in some way. I just want to talk about what we like about them, what we're optimistic about them and what we dislike and what we're concerned with. Let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs, the the easy one, the Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, Clark, what do you like uh, outside of the obvious Patrick Mahomes? This Chiefs team uh, is arguably the best Chiefs team that we've seen because of how good their defense is. We mm-hmm. we forget that Mahomes has never played with an above average defense. Maybe you could say towards the end of last year they started getting pretty good, um, and and they play in stretches. The defense has stepped up in, in key spots, but as far as game to game consistency, their defense is playing better than any Mahomes has played with, and it's not even close. Um, offensively, I'm just not concerned. Like it's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'd be concerned if Travis Kelsey suffered an injury that knocked him out permanently. <clears throat> and he's kind of flirted with that twice now. Um, I do think that they would struggle um, much more on offense if they didn't have him. But I just trust that this is a long season. And Andy Reid and, and Mahomes both view this season as a long season. Their goal is not, okay, we need to figure it out by week six or we're toast. Their yeah. goal is we need to we need to understand who we are by week 15 so that when we enter the playoffs, like we know exactly what our path looks like to the Super Bowl. And I, tr- they do it every year. They they stumble, you know, early on through the middle part of the season as they figure stuff out. They've got talent at receiver, and and I just yeah, I trust them to figure it out. So to me, the the Chiefs are still the the top Super Bowl contender and should be the favorites to win. And the thing is, Clark, you talk about how good their defenses look like third fewest points per drive allowed, ninth fewest yards per drive, fifth fewest yards per play allowed. They did it against like a Detroit offense that's pretty good and a Jacksonville offense that's pretty good and a Minnesota offense that's pretty good. So we can't even say, oh, they've played a soft, uh, a soft uh, schedule. I would like to see their offense look a little bit uh, more like non-reliant on Travis Kelsey. Because uh, I wonder what happens when they play a Buffalo or Miami where it's inevitable you're going to have to probably get to 30 to win the game. Um, I'd like I'd like to see their offense get a little bit more rhythm so it's not just Mahomes having to Superman the entire game. Let's move on to Miami, also 5-1. and one. Um, Clark, what do you like and what are you optimistic about when you think of the Dolphins? I think this is the best offense that I've ever graded. Uh, you know, and and that was true after a couple of weeks. That was true after the next week. That was true after that. Like at some point, you just have to say, okay, forget regression and outside of injury. And they did lose a chan outside yeah. of injury. They like this offense should continue to be as efficient as it is. We've seen NFL defenses struggle with the way that they implement the speed they have on that team. And we've talked about before how how good of a processor Tua is, and he's just kind of operating comfortably. Um, and then on top of that, you know, there was all that offseason chatter about like his jujitsu training and all this kind of weird stuff that Mike McDaniel's doing to get inside of head and stuff. It's actually making a difference on the field. Like I saw Tua like get get pushed back after a throw, yeah. and he kind of did like a rollback where he didn't yeah. hit his head. You know, yeah. and that, and that may sound silly, but like that's a legitimate thing. Like his effort, his recognition that like okay, my body, I need to protect my body. 
is like a level of mental preparation that I think can have impacts on other parts of the game. And I think we're seeing so many ways that Tua is taking a step forward this year. It's not, um, even, the, it's not even just on the sacks. Before, Tua would like r- scramble for four yards and try to truck a guy. And it's like, yeah, you're not big enough right. to be that kind of quarterback. Stop doing that. And he's he's not, he's not he's gotten rid of that part of that of his game. Yep. And, and to McDaniel's credit, uh, using all those sweeps and those motions and, and the, you know, the weird laterals and stuff, and then getting the ball out within two seconds has really taken away those hits that are so dangerous to a quarterback like Tua. So they've worked together to create an offense that both is successful and protects him. Um, I'm a little skeptical about how fragile the offense is. Like if they lose Terry kill, you know, if they lose Waddle for a longer period of time as, as well as a Chan, you know, things can really get downhill fast here. But as of now, if they stay healthy, like this is the best offense in the league and offense is the most important thing when it comes to winning championships. So I like that. Their defense sucks. They, they need to get better. Uh, they're, they're just too, it's too much pressure, right? Because they, if they play a defense that manages to figure them out on offense, I have no faith that the Dolphins defense is going to step up and, you know, like the way the Chiefs defense has had to, right? I don't see that coming from the Dolphins defense. That's a big flaw, um, as well as their schedule and the fact that I don't even project them to win the division. So uh, a lot to be excited about on offense, but uh, the path is difficult and the defense needs to step up. I, I uh, have Arjun Menon that I had on the pod, and it's come, the episode's coming out today. And I asked him, uh, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shannon, who's the better genius? And he said, I think it's Mike McDaniel because the one thing we never saw from Shanahan, the, uh, the his passing attack and running attack weren't number one simultaneously. And right now Miami's number one in every metric that, that matters offensively. The only thing I'll say about the defense is I'd like to see when Jalen Ramsey comes back how Vic Fangio adjusts because it's going to help out uh, a lot. Uh, but I, I echo a lot of what you said about Miami and uh, how good this offense has been. Let's talk about San Francisco then, the other, uh, the, the the teacher of Mike McDaniel. Uh, what do you like and what are you optimistic about? And then what concerns you about this team? I'm very optimistic on the Niners too. They would be number two behind the Chiefs for me in terms of Super Bowl odds. Um, they they play better defense than any of the teams on this list, and their offense is really good too. They had one bad game, and you know, watching that game back, the the confluence of things that happened in that game, like you know, you've got Brock Purdy dealing with the weather with his tiny hands, can't hold on the ball. That was that mattered. They lost Debo Samuel early, and then there were several plays after that where they were using uh, you know Ray Ray McLeod as sort of a Debo role, and he wasn't in the right position, and they had delay of games, and they had false starts, and they had holdings, and like how many times they had first and 20, second and 20, second and 25 against a defense like the Browns. Like you're just disrupting everything that they tried to do, you know, and then Trent Williams went out late and you know, Christian McCaffrey went out late. It, it was, it was, everything was going wrong. And still he, he drove down the field with the help of a, of a, you know, of a call from the ref, but he drove down the field to put them in position to kick a field goal and win that game uh, with everything that was going on. So I'm not concerned about the 49ers moving forward. None of the injuries sound serious. It's, it's, yeah. I saw a report this morning that said all the guys that were hurt might play this week, but maybe they won't, but they will be playing in a few weeks. So as long as they can avoid catastrophic injury, the 49ers should be considered the clear favorite in the NFC. Yeah. Um, I want to see Brock Purdy uh, in more game scripts where he's not playing from a gigantic lead. 
uh, of course, but in weather with half your weapons missing and your left tackle banged up against probably the best defense in the entire league. It's yeah. not. Ex- so those who, who wanted to point to that game, like I told you, Brock Purdy, it's like, no, now we swung the other way of like the absolute worst game script possible. We need a little bit more context uh, in other game scripts in, in different situations. Let's talk about Detroit. Uh, they are five and one. Um what do you see that you like and you're optimistic about and what do you dislike and what's your concern? Detroit for me is, is similar to San Francisco. They're like San Francisco light. You know, you've got the quarterback with tiny hands that struggles in the elements, uh, which is gonna be interesting because neither one of them may play a playoff game in the elements. So that may not even matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got an offense that's really well designed. Um, I, I think you have to throw Ben Johnson in the ring with Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, Jared Goff is, is playing above his weight level and they're getting healthier potentially. Like it's, it's a week to week thing with the lions. Um, but their defense has been playing really well. Aiden Hutchinson, obviously a big step forward. If they get Brian branch back, he's been huge as a rookie. The rest of that secondary has been playing really well. And so this is no longer a team that relies on outscoring opponents by scoring on every drive. This is a team that can play on both sides of the ball. Um, and I'm excited to see how the offense keeps progressing as they get guys back. Um, this is a team that should win their division fairly easily at this point, uh, which is a big advantage. And the NFC is still weaker than the AFC, in my opinion. So I think the path is there for them to get a one or two seed and and play some home games in the playoffs. And that's, I think, a really, really promising sign for this team. I really want to use this game right here against Baltimore to, I I don't want it to define who they are, but I'd like that data point just because, you know, you catch KC right situation week one, a late injury to Kelsey in the week. So they ha- don't, they can't adjust a, a full game plan. And, you know, Atlanta, Green Bay, Carolina, Tampa Bay are not good offenses. So while Detroit's defense has looked good, I'd still like a little context when they play Baltimore, who's got a lot of different ways to beat you offensively. Let's look at Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't think Baltimore is particularly good on offense either, but we'll see. <laughs> They're multiple, though. Uh, if they can just get out of their own way with drops and red zone inefficiency. Philadelphia also uh, lost their first game of the year and probably will lose their second game of the year this week. Uh, what do you like and what do you dislike about the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, so Philadelphia is like Miami light to me in terms of they're also a fragile team that rely is relying on staying healthy. Like if Lane Johnson is hurt, you know, they already lost a guard. I think people underestimate just how important the Eagles offensive line is to their success. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely massive. They become a completely different team if their offensive line starts getting hurt. So Lane Johnson matters. Um, and then, you know, receivers too. Like if AJ Brown goes down, that's, that's massive. Uh, or Devonta Smith. So I think this is a fragile team that has defensive problems, just like the Dolphins have defensive problems that thus far have been hiding their defensive problems by playing such good offense. And what we saw against the Jets was a couple things didn't go their way. You know, these are these are high leverage things that are not very predictive. So I, I don't anticipate them to lose the turnover battle four to zero every game, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But the, the point is that their defense isn't good enough and their offense isn't good enough to overcome those mistakes. They were in they were in a position where that mistake cost them the game at the end of the game because they weren't good enough to beat the Jets defense. Um, and we didn't get a lot of sample size of this Eagles offense against really good defenses last year. Um, yeah. We haven't even really seen it this much this year. Um, you know, the one time we saw it last year was in the playoffs against San Francisco and their offense actually did not look good early in that game. It was yeah. sort of like, a, you know, they, they basically had enough possessions because the 49ers could do nothing on offense and then eventually scored on some short fields and kind of got things going in the second half and things fell apart. But 
this is not an offense that I trust to beat the best defenses in the league. And so if, if you're going to come out of the NFC, you're going to have to beat some of the really good defenses. I think we're going to learn a lot when they play the Cowboys, but um, not a team that I, I'm super high on. I, I also, um, I don't love, I don't love their secondary this year. They brought back Darius Slay and James Bradbury. As soon as they lost Avante Maddox, you start to see how fragile their secondary is because I know Slay and Bradbury had very good years last year, but it was preceded by a couple iffy years. Um, corner is a little bit volatile and, and you got two corners who are getting older or, or close or wrong, on the wrong age of 30. Uh, I'd like to see what happens when they have to play a really high passing attack. We got a sense of it with Minnesota who looked very good and you can't rely on Minnesota fumbling it three times inside the 20 yard line to, to show how good your defense is because they've only got two interceptions. And last year they lived off of having a positive turnover differential and the one strength they do have, they still have a very good D-line, but what happens when they play San Fran in Detroit who have either a good O-line or a very good scheme and can mitigate the, the, the advantage the Eagles have? The best advantage the Eagles have in the NFL is that the best team in the trenches, O-line, D-line combination. Maybe Cleveland is the other case of, uh, of that combination. So I, I actually wonder how well they stack up against the other top teams in the NFC. I, I don't like how, how their matchup advantages are. And I'm really curious to see how a Darius Slay and if he plays and James Bradbury secondary is going to hold up this weekend when they're under pressure. Old guys uh, running around chasing very fast young receivers is usually not a good combo uh, in the NFL. Let's pull up their Super Bowl odds, Jason Cooper, all, all five of these teams, because, you know, they're all five and one and. You know they're 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 all they're all in line to get a one seed, and from there it's two home games, and you're into the Super Bowl. Uh, right now they're currently the first, second, third, fourth, and sixth odds: San Fran, KC, Philly, Miami, uh, and Detroit. Clark, do any of those stand out as having value, or is it too late? Five and one right now, it's very hard to find value in any of these teams. Yeah, it's pretty tough to find value. I mean, I don't typically play, you know, in-season futures all that much because they tend to, you know, reflect what's happened in the year. Um, I think Kansas City at plus 530 is potentially my favorite on the list. Um, or the Bills at plus 950, honestly. Like, I know that's not one of the five teams we talked about. But I think one uh, of the things I'm, that... I'm looking to outside of those six, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, outside, exactly. Um, I, I think that when you get into the playoffs and you get on a Super Bowl run, like having a quarterback that that can deliver in that moment is just such a huge edge. It, it magnifies that edge beyond anything that we we think of. So the 49ers have been the best team in the league so far in my you know based on my ratings. But like you said, like if Purdy struggles, what is their what is their answer? Right? Yeah. Like like they, you have to have that. They, they, they have to win on defense, right? And if, if things kind of get out of hand in one of those games, I don't trust Purdy to bring them back from the brink the same way that I would with a quarterback like Mahomes and Allen. So, you know, I think the odds reflect that, right? Because the rest of the squads on Kansas City and Buffalo have, have not been as playing as well in the Buffalo. The Bills are injured. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the Dolphins are too fragile. The, the, the Eagles, to me, is the most egregious price. That should be... They, I, I think it should go Kansas City, San Francisco... And then it's Buffalo. I would maybe even put Detroit over over Philadelphia at this point. So I guess I guess I kind of talked to myself and maybe Detroit ten to one. 
<laughs> you know, right, when a team's five and one, you're you're usually buying at the top of their market value. Like unless you think they're gonna finish the season uh, thirteen and four or better, uh, you usually are buying at top of market. Uh, so I'd like to look at a team that maybe has a couple losses uh, and one or two that shouldn't have been losses, like you know, fumbling four times against Indianapolis and dropping a million balls against Pittsburgh. I, I look and that Baltimore team kind of stands out to me. Um, and they're getting healthier and they've dealt with all their issues. And despite all that, they have a positive record. Maybe that's the team that I'd be looking at. All right, Clark, let's look at the week. And my my uh, my handle here is what's a backup quarterback worth? Every week, every year, there's that one week where we have to figure out who's the backup, how good are they, what are they worth to the spread. Uh, before we get into the market review, I want to see some likes from the chat. Um, please show some support. Give us the give us a like. It boosts us in the algorithm. Clark, let's start off with um, we'll, we'll save the Thursday nighter till the end. Um, Let's talk about games with uh, situations that we're monitoring on injuries or the market has moved on. So every Las game. <laughs> Las Vegas, Chicago is the biggest uh, what's it worth because we're probably going to get a backup quarterback ball, ball as reflected by the 37 and a half total right now on Pinnacle. Las Vegas is currently ranked three. Um, this It feels like the Raiders can find a version of offense that that isn't reliant on Jimmy G where, you know, you have Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams and Michael Mayers finally starting to be utilized. Whereas the Bears feel like the entire offense is Justin Fields. Everything is built around his his dynamic uh, ability to run and then create some throwing lanes. Uh, What's what's the drop off from Chicago when you start to formulate? Chicago is going to have their backup quarterback in and then potentially Las Vegas with a backup quarterback. Or is this a game that you just stay away? There's too much uncertainty for my liking. I'll probably stay away. Uh, you know, sometimes I put like a mini bet on these types of games. Like last week, I, I put a small bet on Browns when it hit plus 10. You know, it's like, I don't feel, I don't have a way to quantify exactly what I think the number should be, but 10 seems too much. So I'm just going to throw some money on it. Um, and that may end up happening in this game. The mm-hmm. Bears, I, I'm not sure that I think, that it's that big of a downgrade. I I'm, you know, I just don't think Justin Fields is a good quarterback. Like his highlight plays are great. Yes. But his bad plays are way too frequent and way too bad. I, I posted on Twitter, early, I think yesterday, the first play of the game against Minnesota, it, it, Justin Fields is an empty with no tight ends. So it's five yeah. blockers. There are six d- d- defensive players on the line, like down in their stance, ready to rush fields. Look, looks at the field. I don't know what he's looking at because he's not looking at the defenders. But he looks at the field, looks back, and then he takes the snap and just kind of looks right for like a few seconds. And sure enough, the 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 free rusher because six on five means there's gonna be a free rusher. Yeah, sacks him with, and he's like surprised. I didn't even see him coming. Absolutely unacceptable against the the team with one of the highest blitz rates in the NFL. Like yeah. you know, during that prep week that they're saying you gotta you gotta be t- pay attention to who's blitzing and find out where your mismatches are. And he just didn't even try to on the first snap of the game. Sorry, it's a huge overreaction to one play, but it's just when Tyler Bajant came in, I think it's Bajant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's Tyler. I don't know. <laughs> or Tyson. Name. It's one of it's nobody. I've never I've never seen this guy play a down of football, and I've yeah. got to figure out what he's worth to the spread. Yeah, so when Tyson Bajant came in, he, he actually moved the offense okay. Like, they ran the ball pretty well, and he avoided those negative plays. He did have one really bad throw that should have been picked, but... But I, I'm not sure that the downgrade is that dramatic. I think it's just going to be a more boring offense, which should, you know, which is why the total has dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, 
there's a chance that Bajent, uh with a you know a healthier offensive line than Fields has played with most of the most of the season, could generate some offense against a bad defense. I'm not I'm not you know I don't care about draft status. He looked okay. Uh, on the other side, you know, if it's Hoyer, I, I like the Raiders more. If it's Aiden O'Connell, I'm I'm a little more skeptical. Um, but Jimmy G's been playing really well, so I'm not I'm not super excited to kind of back the Raiders with a backup because I do think the drop off from Jimmy G is is notable. I uh, Clark, your tweet was my second favorite tweet I saw this week. Only trailing a guy who wrote Josh Allen's curse is that he's exactly as good as the quarterback he's playing against. And I, I just really fucking enjoyed that. Just to talk about the up and down of Josh Allen. I don't even think that's accurate, but it sounded good enough for me. Clark, we got a, 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 a comment in the chat a bit late, but what do you guys think of Goff MVP 20 to 1? Is that a price that gets you excited, given all the circumstances? You know, possibly. I don't think he gets the credit. You know, even if they go 13 and four, I think it's, wow, you know, look how much the defense improved. Look at the coaching. Look at Ben Johnson. Look at these weapons. You know, it's he's one of those quarterbacks that I think MVP voters are going to have a hard time getting there unless he's statistically better than all of the competition, which is going to include Mahomes if he stays healthy, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Tua. Um, I think if it goes to a quarterback like that, it's going to be much more likely to be someone like Tua uh, yeah. than Jared Goff. All right, let's uh, let's go on to the next game. We asked this question on yesterday's show. Uh, right now, Cleveland is two point favorites against Indy, and I guess the question is, what is the price? Because uh, this is definitely an in between price. What is yeah. the price if Watson is in, and what do you think the spread ends up being if it's uh, PJ Walker again? You know, it's tough to say. I, I do agree that it's an in between price. Um, I think I think the spread gets above three if if Watson is in and healthy. Uh, because of the way this this Browns defense has been playing, and and Gardner Minshew didn't didn't do well. It, we've seen this every year, not just from Gardner Minshew. Like you can say this is a Gardner Minshew thing, or you can say it's a backup quarterback thing. Mm-hmm. But the first game with that backup quarterback always looks good. It's like yeah. it, for some reason, it's like I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's no film on him, so defenses don't know how to prep. The team you know, rises they're... to the occasion. Everybody else steps up. And yeah, then, and then the second you... game, it's yeah. it's terrible, and it's like this is why this guy's a backup. Um, and we saw that with Gardner Minshew again. And, and the thing, we, the reason why it's a Gardner Minshew thing is because it happens every year with Minshew. He gets two to three games every year, and it looks like this. First um, one looks good. Second one looks. It happened. They they almost beat Dallas in the first one, and then the next game they got like rolled by the Giants uh, with in the second last week. It happened. Yeah, exactly the Saints the or whatever. Yeah, week. yeah, the Saints. So so I I don't you know I, I don't have a lot of faith the Colts offense is going to do a ton here. So I don't. The Browns might be favored even with. Uh, PJ Walker, you know, like it, that's how good the Browns defense has been playing. Um, but it might, it might get closer to pick them, I guess. I think uh, Detroit Baltimore has seen the most like two way action. Um, you know, it, it, we got early Baltimore money uh, from two and a half, pushed it to a, a juiced three and in, in some places, three and a half. We got buyback on Detroit right now. We're currently at three uh, pinnacles at three, even in, uh, Chris is at three minus 17. So there's difference of opinion on this game. The over and under has moved twice. Uh, so there's buyback on the under 43 that it was and on the over 40 and a half 41. Um, there's no surprise a game that's big with two really good teams. There's going to, depending on how you view how good they are, and especially with Detroit has looked good, but there's the soft part of their schedule. And then Baltimore has probably should have more wins than the record says when you have circumstances like that where there's uh, there's room for you see what you want to see in a team 
you get a little bit of buyback, right? If you're optimistic about Detroit or you were, all your priors have been confirmed. And if you were skeptical, you're still saying, yeah, but you played Atlanta and Carolina and Tampa Bay. Let's see how you play against Baltimore. Um, do you think we're gonna we're gonna stay around this number? You can't get it to a two and a half or a three and a half in this. There's just gonna be too much buyback on the other team. I think we could see a two and a half. <laughs> um, my you know my numbers make it Baltimore minus one one and a half. So mm. I I was looking at the two and a half and being like you know trying trying to decide whether I was gonna talk myself into a play on Detroit and then all that money came in on Baltimore and I was like wow I get a plus three plus one hundred like yes please mm-hmm. um, and and I think. I, I don't know. I, I think it's overly optimistic to think of the Ravens as a really good team. Like they haven't really proven anything this year. The The thing about Lamar Jackson is he was at his best when he was running around and causing mayhem for the defenses. And he's trying to play the role of Mr. Pocket passer. And he's just not that good at it. Um, and I know I'm going to catch a lot of shit for that if people are still watching, but he's just not consistent. And that, that level of like, he he's almost at his best when he scrambles. And, and I, I just don't think that that's a sustainable way to play offense. I'm not sure that the lions, are the team that's going to like expose Baltimore or anything. Um, but I thought getting the three in a game that I think is likely to be a, a very tightly fought game um, was, was good value. Jason, that's the one that, that right there is what you clip. And when Detroit beats Baltimore, you parade it and say, Hey, we Clark had it bang on. This is the kind of goods that you get watching forward progress on a Tuesday cottage says, how did the Browns not sign a better backup with Watson issues last year? Well, they had a better backup. His name was Josh Dobbs and they traded him to Arizona before the season started. Clark, are you surprised? Or do you think the Browns wish they had that one back? Yeah, I do think they wish they had that one back. I think they wish they just never signed Watson to begin with though. So <laughs> yeah, they, they probably want a couple of mulligans at the quarterback position. All right, yeah. another game that's been seeing some interesting action early on is Pittsburgh and the Rams. Um, Pittsburgh's coming off a bye and got positive injury news that Pat Fryermuth's going to be back, and Deontay Johnson sounds like he's going to be back. And the Rams uh, got some negative injury news in that both their running backs could be missing the game as well as uh, – I don't want to say their number one corner because it doesn't feel like they have one, but one of their starting corners uh, had some legal issues, got a, got uh, got arrested. Um, the line opened above three and a half, um, and, and we got some Pittsburgh money, and and the total has also uh, shifted uh, up to forty three and a half. And I guess that's just is that just Pat Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson probably going to go? They're got to be worth a little bit to the to the spread here. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could just be that the initial price wasn't very good. We know openers are pretty soft. Um, the Rams have a lot going on, right? And on top of all that, you got Sean McVay's wife might give birth, you know, either during the week or on game day, either of which could impact their preparation or participation in this game, right? It could be Raheem Mars playing head coach and a lot of uncertainty that creates a lot of weird dynamics. Uh, the Rams have been playing really well this year and the Steelers have not been playing really well despite their record. Um, so I think the the three and a half made sense to me um but with all the uncertainty and Deontay Johnson matters a ton like their their offense sucks when they have nobody getting open and that happens when Deontay Johnson and Frymuth are not on the field so I think there's a lot of reasons to expect the Steelers to be the best version of themselves that they've been all year in this game um and lots of reasons to question whether the Rams are going to be the best version of themselves so that combination I think brought money on Steelers all right let's look at the final game uh it's the Sunday nighter. Um, 
Miami at Philly. It looked it opened two two and a half, and we got some Miami buyback. Uh, the total also opened up higher, and we got some under action bet, which is surprising to me because the injuries we're watching for in this game is Xavier Howard and Jerome Baker for Miami. They're you know best linebacker and uh, best cornerback, and then the Eagles half their secondary. Uh, could be out and, and uh, Jalen Carter's still a question mark. And then there's the, you know, Lane Johnson uh, and Connor Williams, two important O-line uh, pieces for both teams uh, in a game like this, where there's a lot of, there, there's no clear, Hey, a quarterback's out. We got to make adjustments, but there's a lot of clusters and there's like enough of a, of, of, of a, of an injury report that you got to monitor who's going to play or not. Is this a game that you wait? to find out how the injury picture looks a little bit clearer on Wednesday before making a decision? Or if you have a significant edge, is this something you'll jump on right away? Yeah, it always depends on what the number is and where I think the market's going to move. So like I did take a little bit of uh, Dolphins right at open uh, on the money line at plus 125. That's since moved down closer. I just thought that these teams are much closer together. And so that gives me options, right? If I think it's going to close close to pick them, which I think it will, uh, that gives me options to decide, you know, how much do I want to keep that bet? How much do I want to stake size it? Um, as far as the the injuries go, like in my mind, they could only really get worse for Philadelphia, right? Like, so I, I like the Dolphins, uh, you know, at the at that opening number, even if Lane Johnson plays, you know, and Darius Slay plays. Um, but if those guys are out, you know, and then you've got uh, Jalen Carter also, um, and then someone else, oh, Reed Blankenship also, yeah. like, so so as these things start to add up like it just makes the bet more valuable so i i thought the i thought the initial line was assuming all those guys play yeah um so it can only get better from there that, that's typically how i approach it but now at this price i think yeah I'm, I'm probably i'm probably waiting i i don't really understand the under money other than just the entire nfl is playing under this yeah. <laughs> um like it, it, we've seen so many times like even good offenses it, it's it's a lot of long drives defenses yeah. are like yeah, we'll give you six yards, you know, up up and down the field because one of these times you're going to get an incomplete pass and now it's fourth and one. And, you know, what are you going to do? And it's just like these very slow, low scoring games are, are happening. So I think there's sort of a, a widespread reaction to the under that, that might have impacted this game. Yeah, even like Dallas Chargers, long drive, you get there and you either settle for a field goal or you go for a fourth down that doesn't make it. And that'll kill it. That'll kill an over just like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is one that I'm surprised just because there's, there's there's a lot of room for explosives in this game uh, on both sides. I, I I see less of a methodical approach in this game and more of a uh, let's test how, how injured your secondary is. All right, let's go to the Thursday game because uh, we got the big million-dollar question, uh, Trevor Lawrence. First of all, Clark, uh, the line opened like a pick minus one for the Saints. It briefly went to the Jaguars uh, Monday morning and then – came out that, you know, Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to practice and he's got a knee sprain and it went to the three. Today we saw him get onto the practice field and he's got a big brace on, but he was doing most of the drills. Uh, we still don't know if he's going to play uh, yet. Is this line right now an in-between? And if so, what does the line look like if it's without Trevor Lawrence? And what does the line look like if there is Trevor Lawrence? I think 100% healthy Trevor Lawrence pushes this, uh, you know, Jaguars favored one and a half to, I don't think it gets all the way to three, you know, it's still a short week. It's still, you know, a very tough defense. The, the Jaguars offense hasn't been playing particularly well. Even last week they scored 37 points, but their offense wasn't particularly impressive. Um, 
But if if Trevor Lawrence is out, uh, I think this goes over three for New Orleans at home. Yeah. I think Trevor Lawrence matters a ton, like a, a massive amount. I think, you know, we talked about guys that could be the third best quarterback, like maybe not right now, but in a couple of years, it's, you know, Trevor Lawrence has potential to be that guy. Um, I think this offense, he's been holding together with string in some, in some cases. And mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that uh, Bethard can, can kind of keep that up against a really tough defense. So I think a wide range here based on Lawrence's availability. You know, there's also some sneaky, good, like big injuries in this game. Like, Tyson Campbell is a a truly, when we talked about the Jacksonville defense and projecting them, uh, Tyson Campbell becoming like a top five corner before our eyes has really done a good thing, like has really helped how good this Jaguars defense has looked this year. If he can't go, like they're going to have a problem with Olave and Shahid right down the field. Yeah, if Carr has time, right? Because on the other side, the, the Saints' offensive line is also dealing with injuries. Both teams. There, there's, there's, uh, you know, Brandon Scherf and Walker Little for the yeah. Jets, and then there's Ramchick and James Hurst for New Orleans. Like, there's sneaky good big injuries clusters. Yeah, uh, number one corners, a quarterback. This has got a, and it's a short week. This has got a weird dynamic to this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful because. I found too many edges on Thursday night games this, this season. And I hate having a bet on Thursday night because it's just like, it feels so much more important than it really is. Cause it just has that impact for days before you can, you know, um, starting so I'm your grateful to have a game. I don't yeah, feel obligated to bet. Starting your accounting log with the loss is yeah. with red ink is not nice. That that's the whole thing about the London game, you know, starting uh, before one o'clock kicks off and you're already down for the day is not a good feeling. And, Sometimes those isolated games before the Sunday one o'clock slate feel extra important for no reason. Uh, uh, Clark, you've been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation today. A lot of interesting line moves, a lot of injuries to monitor before you guys make your bets. I hope you guys have some success. Clark, thanks again, man. Yep. Thanks, George. As a reminder, Forward Progress will be back again tomorrow at two with Rob Pozzola, Eric Eager, Suma, and Hitman giving you their best bets. And uh, Hitman finally got off the schneid. He's on a 1-0 and streak. They'll be breaking down games from a betting perspective. Drop us a like before you bounce, especially if you enjoyed the content. Drop us a comment, too. That's it for me. Thanks to Sharp Clark. Thanks to Producer Jason. And thanks to you, the audience. Until next time.